0: So Ben Simmons has made it known he won't be playing another game for the Philadelphia 76ers. It seems pretty clear the Sixers have been trying to trade him for months now, maybe not trying too hard. They continue to seem convinced that they can bring him back, either by sweet-talking him back into the fold or just saying, look, you gotta come back, we're gonna fine you if you don't. They're about to get a hard lesson in NBA Holdout 101, and there are quite a few examples of the last year the Pelicans tried it with Anthony Davis, he sat, then he played, then he went down with a fake injury, and they traded him for more or less the same package they were going to trade him for at the deadline. James Harden, the Rockets tried it, that was a doozy of a, of a time for them. He sat, then he played, and he played very poorly, he hard sandbagged, some would argue, and then the Rockets basically had no choice but to move him for a bad return, granted, Part of that was their fault. They traded Karis Levert for Victor Oladipo. Nothing can save you if you do that. But the thing is that in today's NBA, the players have 100% of the leverage. The teams are only hurting themselves if they keep a player who doesn't want to be there around. You know, There's no chance usually that you're going to bring a guy back into the fold like the Sixers are trying to do with Simmons. Chances are you're going to get a better return if you trade them right away. Now, I don't really have any sympathy for NBA owners. They mostly have a history of treating their players like cattle, but I do have a little bit of sympathy for the fans when a player can request a trade one year into a four or five year contract and the team can't do anything about it, something's got to change. And speaking of change, here's a brand new episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Welcome to the first episode of the High Floor, Low Ceiling Podcast. An exciting time on the landscape of not just podcasting, but media as a whole. I am Chris. I'm joined by Griffin. Griffin, how are you feeling today?
1: I'm feeling great, Chris. I can really feel the earth shaking from this podcast that we've created. There's a new player on the sports podcast scene. It's a crowded scene, but I think we're ready to get some elbows out and... Uh really cause a ruckus here
0: yeah i mean i've heard of walk off the earth but feel the earth move under my feet due to a shifting sports media landscape this i've gotta see
1: it's my second favorite canadian band where they all play the guitar at the same time
0: (laughs) number one is walk off the earth of course wait what's number oh no i see i understand We'll we'll cut all this yeah this is all cut uh so what is this podcast about you're asking yourself and frankly i'm asking myself uh we're gonna talk sports We want the things that we discuss to reflect our interests, and obviously the conversations that we would hopefully want to hear in a podcast, maybe not what you just heard, but certainly that's the conversation that I want to have, even if other people don't want to hear it.
1: Uh, We also enjoy long walks on the beach, strawberry ice cream, and getting to know you, our beloved listeners. You're all in on strawberry, eh? I I think strawberry is an underrated ice cream. The key is having chunks of real strawberry mm-hmm. in there. They give you a little bit of crunch with the seeds, a little bit of that real, flute f- real fruit flavor, pardon me. That's what really makes a great strawberry ice cream.
0: And as someone who played the flute in high school, I can tell you a real flute fr- flavor is tangy metal.
1: <laughs> well, Chris, we're three minutes in, and we have lost sports completely.
0: Uh. Let's not let that happen. Of course, we are based out of Toronto, but we don't want to just take a a Toronto view of things. We want to take a broader view of the sports world. And there is a lot going on in the sports world right now. So let's jump in. I wrote this and did not realize that I started by saying we don't just want to talk about Toronto stuff and then immediately jump into talking about the Toronto Raptors.
1: On the bright side, I think American NBA fans love hearing about the Toronto Raptors, uh, if my Twitter mentions are anything to go off of. So this will go over great with them.
0: Well, they get talked about so frequently in, uh, in the sports media. ESPN loves the Raptors. It's
1: exhausting for them. I get why they get so frustrated anytime the Raptors are brought up. Precisely, but
0: the NBA season is coming up. Of course, uh, I wanted us to talk a little bit about the Raptors and basically what we see or what we expect from them in this upcoming year. Uh, we just had media day yesterday, which seems to sort of be continuing into today. A lot of press conferences and discussions that were interesting, but let's take a take a broad look at the season as a whole. So I think the best way to start off is. Per SportsBettingDime.com, that famous sports betting website, <laughs> uh, they have the Raptors at a plus two eighty to make the playoffs, and their over under win total is thirty seven and a half wins. So just, just without talking about any other team for a sec, does that seem like a fair number to you?
1: I think that does. I mean, your internal instinct when you see the Raptors ranked lowly. And some good odds to make the playoffs is, hey, that might be a bit of easy money because, as I think we're about to get into, the Raptors always seem to outperform expectations. But if you're looking at it with your brain as opposed to your gut, (laughs) this definitely seems like the right ranking for the Raptors. They didn't have a good offseason. They didn't make any exciting moves. They lost the best player in franchise history, and they weren't a playoff team last year. So I don't think that logically there's any reason to expect them to be a playoff team.
0: Yeah, personally, I prefer to look at things with my eyes, but looking at them with your brain is an interesting choice as well.
1: The eyes are just a vehicle for the brain. Everything comes back to the brain, Chris.
0: That's so true, King. Uh, Yeah, like you said, the Raptors, they have consistently outperformed the over-under. There's that famous DeRozan tweet or Instagram, rather, where they had them at, what, like 43 wins or something. They ended up winning 56 games that year. Uh, So they are known for overperforming until last year where they really underperformed, as as you might say. I would say 37.5, it was a little higher than I expected. Uh, I think a lot of people have them, you know, in the 10 to 12 range in the East. Uh, 37.5, that's number 10 based on the win totals that we have. So just to give you some teams that are in a similar range, the Pacers, 43.5 wins. The Chicago Bulls, a little low, I thought, at 41.5 the Knicks at 40.5, the, and then below them, directly below, you have the Hornets at 36.5 and the Wizards at 34.5. So you look at those teams that are sort of in the same ballpark. I think you can say that the top tier of the East, in some order, is going to be the Bucks, the Nets, the Heat, and the Sixers. Is that fair to say? Do you believe in the Heat as a top four team?
1: Uh, yeah, I think the Heat will be up there. I think they're fourth of those four. Mm-hmm. This is a team that was swept in the first round by the Bucks last year and they've added a 37-year-old Kyle Lowry. Uh so I think that the Heat are fourth of four, but I would say that those are the top 4 with the uh, Hawks.
0: Yeah, looking uh, good. That was uh that was what I was going to say right below them. You can have the Celtics and the Hawks. Do you do would you say both of those teams are playoff locks?
1: Uh, It's tough to say anything's a lock in the NBA. We see so much go wrong so often. (laughs) That's Um, a beautiful hedge. But you know what? I'm not going to hedge on our very first episode. Lock it in, folks. 100% guaranteed you'll be seeing Boston and Atlanta in the Eastern Conference playoffs at the end of this season.
0: I think that's a fair take. People seem very high on uh, Atlanta. Their over-under was 47.5 wins, which does seem a little bit... uh, a little bit high to me, but they they have a lot of believers, including you know some smart people I've heard say they're going to be better than they were last year. They're going to be as good as they were in the playoffs. So we'll see with them. But looking at those other 500-ish teams, the question basically that you're asking yourself is, out of the Pacers, the Bulls, the Knicks, the Hornets, and the Wizards, are there three teams there that
1: are better than the Raptors? I'm going to say yes, maybe four teams better than the Raptors. I think the Bulls, the Knicks, and the Hornets will all be better than the Raptors. I'm surprised to see the Hornets ranked this low. They had a good thing going last year. Uh, LaMelo Ball could take another step forward. Gordon Hayward maybe healthier. He's a good player. Sort of got lost in the shuffle once he got shipped out to Charlotte. I think the Hornets are due for a good season here. I would put the Raptors sort of on the Pacers level. That could go either way for me, but I think there's a good case to be made that the Raptors are worse than most of the teams you just named
0: yeah I mean I don't know how to feel about the Hornets uh their depth is definitely an issue in my opinion like they don't really have a backup point guard other than Terry Rogier. basically their rotation is LaMelo Ball, Rogier, Hayward, Paul Washington Jr. as the person who was drafting in my fantasy league once called him aka PJ Washington uh Mason Plumlee who they just traded for and then Miles Bridges and Kelly Oubre, which is like, that's a really strong seven, but it you 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 lose something there. And I mean, they have a bunch of like, you know, they drafted Kai Jones, they have Vernon Carey, they have Wessa Wundu, they have which Martin do they have? I'm gonna say Cody. I believe they still have Cody Martin, <laughs> uh, James Booknight, uh, or Booknight, however you want to choose to pronounce that. So like they they have a lot of question mark guys in my mind.
1: Yeah, a lot of things that could go well for the Hornets or could not go so well, like you said. Question mark, guys.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're underrating the Pacers here. You didn't mention them as a team that you considered better than the Raptors. I think they have a really strong roster. Like, I mean, I think they underperformed last year. Uh, obviously, there was that whole business with uh, Nate Bjorkgren.
1: Well, yeah, that was one thing that made me hesitant on them is that teams with head coaching turmoil and turnover always kind of scare me. Uh, but with that being said, it sounds like Nate Bjorken is kind of a sociopath, so they might be good to get out from under him. Rick Carlisle, I think we know what he is at this point in the NBA. He's a good head coach. He's going to take your good team and keep them good. I'm not sure if he takes a good team and makes them better, but he certainly won't make them worse. He knows how to manage a locker room. Uh, so the Pacers, I'm I'm hesitant on. Yeah, I think I'm
0: actually pretty high on them relative to most people. Like To me, they seem like a 45 47 like that kind of range for a team like i don't think that they're really deserve to be in the will they be over 500 conversation that we seem to be sort of hovering in right now the knicks are another question so basically what what this over under is positive about 40 and a half wins is that they were they were overperformers last year do you agree with that do you think they'll be better worse or the same than they were
1: I do think that the Knicks were a bit of overperformers last year. I still probably think they're better than the Raptors. R.J. Barrett seems like he's just making, like, a really good leap last year. I think he could be due to take another step forward this year. Tom Thibodeau, everyone in the NBA seems to go back and forth on whether or not Tom Thibodeau is a good coach. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now it seems like he is. (laughs) So I think that he can get in there for another year, run his stars into the ground, and... uh, Make another good run, so I'm I'm a believer in the New York Knicks. Good times are back, basketball in Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, I think uh, not Brooklyn.
1: Good <laughs> times are in Brooklyn for sure, but uh, new good times are back in Manhattan as well.
0: Yeah, I think I think a lot of the skepticism surrounding them is mostly centered on Julius Randle. Um, he you know he put up really solid numbers last year. He shot really well from three, which was a big shift for him. I tend to be a little skeptical of guys who suddenly go from being like sub 35% shooters to 40% shooters. Maybe there's something there, maybe not. But I think I do think that actually now that you mentioned Barrett, I think if Randall does take a step back, that could be compensated for by Barrett taking a step forward and maybe keeping them in that sort of mid tier range that they were in last year.
1: Yeah, I did think that we did see a lot of sustainable stuff from Julius Randle last year in terms of improvements. The three-point shot might go back a little bit, but the ball distribution he averaged, just bringing it up here, six assists a game. That's up from his previous best was 3.6 in 2017. I think that stuff is tangible. I think it's real. Uh, He really did well as the focal point of the offense, and I think that's definitely what they'll try and do again in New York. Defenses will be a little more ready for him. He, his scoring might go down, but I think the advances he made in moving the ball will help those secondary players like RJ.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've talked a lot about teams that are not the Raptors and why they might be better than the Raptors, but let's take a focus on the Raptors roster for a second. Um, you know, they had a, a, a an offseason that a lot of people criticized, a pretty up-and-down offseason. Um, the way I want to approach this is, so I'm, I'm asking you to make a hypothetical bet here. So I'm going to be giving you two to one odds plus 100, I believe is how that, uh, that math shakes out, that one of the core Raptors players, so Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, and I will do you a favor and I'll throw Gary Trenton here, junior. One of those guys is not on the team anymore by the trade deadline. Do you like that bet? Are you taking that bet? So I am on the side that they would all be on the team. You are betting, I'm giving you two to one odds that one
1: of them will leave. I'm not taking that bet. And the reason for that is I don't think that the Raptors will blow expectations out of this water this year and be back to the home court playoff contenders that they have been in the past. I just think that none of these guys are really that tradable. Scotty Barnes you've just invested in. He's not going anywhere. OG Ananobi, the Raptors clearly believe a lot in. He's not going anywhere. Pascal Siakam's got the big contract. If the Raptors don't play well, it means he's not playing well. It means that it's going to be very tough to trade that contract. Fred Van Vliet's the one where if things go off the rails, he might go, but he's got a big contract as well. And then Gary Trent, they just signed. He seems like a good piece on a bad team. So I just don't think that any of those guys are that movable. So I think that the Raptors will struggle this year but i'm going to say all those guys are still on the team end of season.
0: Yeah, i mean i i think they're i think they are very movable in terms of i think that they are pieces that a team would want but maybe i think what you're saying is sort of that they've already invested a fair amount and aren't really interested
1: in moving on. Yeah, the raptors had an off season of a they acted this off season as if they believe in this core. Mhm. They did, they made a pick in Scotty Burns who sort of went against the core, Uh, that was more of a, felt like a win for the future pick as more of a, we believe we have a core who compete now. We're going to bring in an instant impact rookie pick. But aside from that, they didn't move on from any of their guys, except Kyle Lowry. It seemed like they're banking on a return to Toronto and a return to stability and a return to their great home court advantage as a team that can make internal improvements like they always seem to do and get back into the playoff picture. So because of that, the Raptors are not, a team that flip flops willy-nilly. I think they've believed in this core and their for lack of another word, their stubbornness will prevent them from moving on from them, at least this year.
0: Yeah, I think I think stubbornness is a good word for it. Um so let let's just say hypothetically, let's say that they're like really bad. Like I don't know, let's say fifty games into the season, they're seventeen and and thirty-three. What? Who do you think is the player that gets
1: moved there? Is it Van Vliet? I think, yeah, you got to be circling Fred Van Vliet because if the Raptors are bad, that means Pascal Siakam's been bad. Fred Van Vliet is, I think, the type of guy that other teams in the league would value very highly as a guy who they can pull out of a bad situation and imp- plug into their playoff team, whether it's the sixth man off the bench or as a starting guard and still make a great impact for them. We've seen Fred Van Vliet play winning basketball basically his entire NBA and college career. I think he's more of a proven commodity at this point. I think if the Raptors are bad this year, teams will be very wary of Pascal Siakam. Uh, OG, Scotty Barnes, we already talked about how they seem like the future of this team. They're not traded. So I think, yeah, you're circling Fred Van Vliet with red pen. If, if someone has to go, it's going to be Freddy.
0: Yeah. Like really, I can't really think of a team that wouldn't want him. I mean, like you could say the Jazz kind of already have a few guards that fill that spot. But I mean, like pretty much any team I think would want to have him because you can you can put him next to a pure point guard. You can put him next to more of a scorer. Like I think.
1: Yeah, we saw his versatility during his Kyle Lowry years with the Raptors. They're there are, I, yeah, like you say, I don't think there are any team in the NBA with three guards already better than Fred Van Vliet.
0: Yeah, I, I think just to, to throw a name out there, I think Dallas would be a team where he would be so good. Oh, he
1: would be perfect alongside Luca. We talk about steady Freddy. That's exactly what you need alongside Don a guy who can take care of the ball, can score on his own if he has to, who can facilitate the offense, can give Luca some much needed breaks. That would be a perfect team. Drogic and Van Vliet to the Mavericks in a package deal.
0: Yeah, for... Uh, <laughs> Luka Doncic. Yep, there it is. Perfect trade. So let's let's move to a, a closer look at a certain Raptor. I think you can probably guess where I'm going. And not just because you have my notes in front of you. Scotty Scottrick Scotty Barnes. That's his full name. Is
1: that his real name?
0: That would... <laughs> you believe that?
1: I don't know. I believe anything you tell me. I'm a very trusting person. That's very kind of you to say.
0: Um, but let's talk about Scotty Too Hotty, as some are calling him, like me just now. Uh, Nick Nurse said on Monday during the media availability that I was talking about that he would be giving Scotty Barnes as many minutes as he can handle. Too hot to handle. Scotty Too Hotty. It's all coming together. Uh, he talked about his shooting mechanics, Scotty uh, Today, which is Tuesday talked about his shooting mechanics as well he said he changed up his shot release a little bit to make things a little more smooth coming coming off his fingers we saw in summer league he did look pretty stiff still he shot under 30 percent from three on a fair number of attempts granted he was taking you know he was taking pull-ups he was taking shots like like the fast break dribble down court and then shoot the three shot which i don't see as a shot for him Uh, So he was taking more difficult shots than you'd expect, but still under 30%. Are you sold on Scotty as a shooter, at least this season? Do you see him as a guy who will shoot, let's say 35% from three on a fair number of attempts?
1: Well, first off, I just want to say, you accused me of hedging. Nick Nurse saying he'd give him as many minutes as he can handle? Talk about hedging. That tells us absolutely (laughs) nothing about how much Scotty Burns will be playing this season. Of course, that's what you do with any player in the NBA. You give them as many minutes as they can handle, as many minutes as they'll be good for. Aside from that, Short answer, this season, am I expecting Scottie Barnes to become a good shooter? No. Uh, I think he'll do a lot of things well. I think he runs the transition very well. He'll defend very well. Do I think he can be a good shooter one day? Absolutely. The Raptors work on him with their NBA-level coaching. Absolutely, he can develop into a—he's never going to be Kyle Corver, but he can be a solid guy who you have to respect on the three-point line. This season, I'm not expecting much from him. I won't be disappointed in him if he doesn't have the best shot. I think he'll take them. Will he make them? That's another question. Yeah, it's
0: interesting because, you know, I think of, I think almost that Raptors fans, I'm talking about OG and Anobi now, I think Raptors fans have a lower opinion of OG as a shooter than a lot of people outside the Raptors sort of community do. Like, I I sort of see him as an OG in some ways where he'll be a set shot guy, he'll be a catch and shoot guy, like... OG has that slow release. I think I saw some similarities in Barnes's release. Obviously OG hits a good percentage, but I, I think I think that that's the situation where you use him as a shooter more. It's like he's wide open. It's a standstill knockdown kind of three.
1: Yeah, I think Scotty and OG are very similar players. I think the Raptors sort of see Scotty Barnes as a more fluid, more comfortable with the ball in his hands. Smoother style of O.G. Ananobi, in other words, a slightly better O.G. Ananobi. Yeah. More skills—it's
0: always helpful to have. Um, so, speaking of Nick Nurse uh, going over the hedge, do you think? Let's let's talk. Let's do another bet here. I'll give you the same odds plus one hundred. Will Scotty Barnes be in the starting lineup consistently by the end of this season?
1: By the end of the season, I'm gonna say no. He's not. I think the Raptors will find enough success with a starting lineup of Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent, uh, OG Ananobi, Pascal's hurt to start the year, but eventually, obviously, he'll be in there, and then either Kem Birch or Chris Boucher, that they won't feel the need to make any major changes if you do want Scotty Barnes in there. He, like Maybe you're anticipating Pascal another injury, you're anticipating Gary Trent not giving you what you wanted. I don't see an obvious slot for Scotty Barnes to step into the starting lineup, personally.
0: Well, now that you mention it, with Siakam being injured, do you think that he will be a starter to start the season, now that now that you mention that?
1: I think they'd rather go Boucher, Burch. You've got this guy who's a bit of a project rookie, as good as he did look at Florida State. I don't think you want to throw him in off the deep end. on In a year where you don't have very high expectations, uh, you don't need him to contribute right away you're more than fine to let him develop slowly. So I'd, I, if they do, I would be surprised because I think it would be very un like of them.
0: Yeah, but then you think about uh, back in, what, tw- 2017, I believe, that you had Siakam starting at power forward for a lot of the season for the Raptors, which I think was a big surprise to a lot of people. I remember turning on a Raptor game that season and being like, who is this guy <laughs> who's suddenly like our starting
1: power forward? Absolutely. But was he starting over like Luis Scola back in those days? I think that having Pascal Siakam or even the Chris Boucher that we saw last year is a much better option than who Pascal was starting over in yeah. 2017. And the Raptors were in a different place in their franchise. They were desperately trying to uh, get to the Eastern Conference Finals again, get past LeBron again. Well, not again. They never did. So I think that this year the Raptors have a diff- should have a different outlook. If they don't, I'd be surprised. So I personally can't see the justification for start- starting Scotty early in the year.
0: Yeah, you often forget that Luis Scola was a starting power forward on a 56-win Eastern Conference Finals team. <laughs> that he was. The uh,
1: Argentinian Lion is a nickname I just came up for him because he had long hair that's and actually, he was from Argentina.
0: I believed you when you said that. I think I, too, am quite trusting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I disagree with you there. I think he does slot in really well in the line because of the versatility that we alluded to earlier, where, you know, you have players that can like Van Vliet can play either guard spot and Anobi can play either forward spot. Pascal Siakam, you don't really want him as a center consistently, but they did use that lineup last year with uh, Ananobi and Siakam as the nominal 4-5. You know, OG played more
1: of the 5 role on defense. But anyways. All right, well, do we want to track that? Do we want to say if Scotty Barnes starts more than 5 games while Pascal Siakam is injured, you're the big winner? You win the first point of the high-floor, low-ceiling podcast?
0: I will I will take that. I And I am curious because I just, I think he's a better fit. I think it makes more sense to... You shift, I mean, he would be the nominal three in that lineup where you have Van Vliet down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Van Vliet, Trent, Barnes, and Anobi and Birch. I like that more than putting Boucher out there. I think Boucher is best suited to a bench role, to sort of coming in and providing energy and blocks and things like that, than he is to being asked to like be a significant part of the offense. But
1: as soon as I thought of it, as shifting OG down, I fear that you're going to be right that that small ball lineup <laughs> switchability, six foot nine is going to be what Nick Nurse likes. But I'm still confident. I I want that point. I want that first HFLC well, point.
0: Yeah, the HFLCP. That's going to be a consistent thing that we come back to over the life of this podcast. Um, so going back to you know looking at the end of the season, looking at you know let's he develops well, he turns into a guy that. You want having more consistent minutes in there. Who do you remove from the starting lineup to make room for Scotty Barnes? Because in my mind, if you're starting Scotty Barnes, he is your point guard.
1: Starting Scotty Barnes at point guard. If Ostensibly,
0: you know, it's because, you know, as it's, the
1: LeBron James style, maybe not listed at the one, but he is your ball handler, he is your offense. Yeah, and, and he's your quarterback,
0: and you're essentially playing him in a in a point guard position in terms of the players you put around him. You have Van Vliet. It would it would be Barnes, Van Vliet, Trent, uh, or sorry,
1: O.G. Siakam, Birch, and then
0: you take Trent out of there.
1: I do like that. We know that Fred is certainly comfortable playing off the ball, having played alongside Kyle for so many years, and arguably that's when Fred looks best. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do could, I think that's how the Raptors envision this in the future. That's what we saw from Scotty Barnes at Florida State was that great ball moving ability, the great transition abilities. Uh, ben Simmons with a shot is what people have projected him to be. And that's certainly the role Ben Simmons is in, the point guard role.
0: Yeah, he was basically the the backup point guard of Florida State. And, you know, we we see, you know, he's not really a traditional point guard. He's not a pure like ball handler or dribble penetrator but he's definitely a great passer like i think Ben Simmons is the right comparison in terms of like you don't necessarily want him like running pick and rolls and stuff but in terms of having the ball in his hand and making the right pass to an open shooter i think that he's really really strong in that in that regard so looking ahead for Scotty hottie what kind of stat line are you expecting out of him this season
1: uh, I'm not expecting a lot of points from Scotty Too Hottie, as uh, I will begrudgingly call him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, nothing that really jumps off the box score for me this year. I think a couple points, maybe th- four or five baskets a game. Some rebounds just on merit of his size and his wingspan. He'll poke away a couple steals here and there. Hopefully he'll get some assists, maybe some blocks. I'm just naming stats. I'm not giving <laughs> yeah. you any numbers. Uh, he might turn what, the ball over. What other stats can I think of? Uh, he might shoot some free throws, have a free throw percentage in between 0 and 100. No, I. if I had to pick numbers, I would say 7 points, 4 rebounds, two and a half assists, a steal and a block. I think that would be a good rookie season for Scotty Burns, provided that the intangibles look good. He's he's a good intangible player, I think, and he'll look good even if his box scores don't always suggest it. Don't draft him in your fantasy league.
0: Yeah, that's actually, that's almost exactly what I have written down. I had eight points, five boards, three assists, and around a steal and a block. Uh, obviously, that'll be minute contingent. I think he'll, I think we'll see him in the, and the 20 25 minute range, like I think he will have a significant role even if he doesn't become a full time starter. And we will see, uh, for the uh, the uh, the 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 the, the HFLCP leaderboard, thank you, uh, how that shakes out. Uh, but yeah, like I you think said, that a
1: lot of that will depend on how the season goes for the Raptors, too, whether they can tread water while Pascal is hurt to start the year and whether they can improve once he comes back in,
0: yeah. And like you said, it's a pl- he's a guy that. He's always going to contribute more in the stat line. I think he's going to be up a net positive on the defensive end for sure. Like, I think he will be an impact defensive player on day one. Uh, but this year, certainly going to be fascinating for the Raptors. We are going to take a quick break and be right back with more High Floor Alo Sailing. And welcome back to High Floor Alo Sailing.
1: This um, is good. Can you do a different voice every time you say the name of the podcast for the life of the podcast? I feel
0: like I'm kind of doing like a bit of like a country, like low ceilings.
1: Well, we don't want to offend our listeners in middle America. <laughs> That's right. We
0: have a significant contingent in the uh, in the Midwest and Texas. That's where most of our listenership comes and from, we, I
1: think. We love you guys. Chris is not mocking you or the no. way you speak. Oh. Your beautiful language, Your beautiful culture. We appreciate it. In fact, we'd love it if you all came by the pod sometime. Yeah, come by.
0: We'll give you our address. Yep.
1: Yeah. Catch a flight. Cross the border. Bring your passport.
0: Low ceilings. I'm going <laughs> to... The theme song's going to incorporate... I'm just going to do a country western song for the theme song, which, oh, the, which the listeners have already heard, but yeah. we'll get a new
1: one. Yeah. Maybe we'll exclusively have a Midwest audience from now on. We'll start covering uh, Golden Hawks football. And, sorry, not Golden. Is that what they call the University of Iowa? Big Laurier fan. Well, I would. I was looking at Laurier highlights earlier today, but I think the Iowa teams are also the Golden Hawks. Well, I wish them the best. Aren't they the Corn Huskers? No, that's Nebraska. Oh, well. Get your Midwest straight. We just <laughs> lost all our yeah. Midwest audience again.
0: <laughs> we'll have to. We'll have to work to salvage that. But in the meantime, let's talk about a sport that is popular in the Midwest, that is popular uh, across these United States that we are not in. Uh, we're talking about the the. I call it the Natty Footy
1: League, personally. I hate that. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. Why? Why is that? Well, it's just it seems unnecessary. I think it's roughly the same amount of syllables as National Football League. Maybe save one.
0: What if? What if it was called the Niffle? The Niffle. Would that be good?
1: Too suggestive. Makes me uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. I the Midwest would never stand for
0: it. It's so true. Uh, but we we're talking about the National Football League, the NFL. Uh, just wrapped up week three yesterday with that Cowboys-Eagles game. That was a quality game in my fine opinion. But the thing we want to talk about today is there are five NFL teams that are now sitting after week three at a record of 3-0. and And I would say of those five, four of them at least, maybe you could, you could argue five, are not teams that people would have picked to be obvious 3-0 starters. So we're going to play a little game of what I like to call real or fake obviously creative yeah i'm a creative person Uh, obviously the definition of real can vary for different teams like obviously real if you're 3-0 real doesn't mean you're going 16-0 real doesn't even necessarily mean you're gonna make the playoffs although i think i think probably i I think real 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 should be a playoff team i think the floor for real is a playoff team but some for some teams we'll be talking about them as playoff teams for others we'll be talking about them as super bowl contenders but let's start with a team that I would say the most unexpected team to start 3-0. The Carolina Panthers, they beat the Jets in week one. There's a common theme also that a lot of these teams have wins over the Jets. and oh, other, the other Jets. And other bad teams. But So they beat the Jets in week one. They blew out the Saints, weirdly enough, 26-7 in week two. And then last Thursday, they beat the Texans by 15 points. That was a really ugly game. Christian McCaffrey went down with an injury. The Texans were starting, what's his name? Mike Mills, the director of 20th Century Women. Is that who started for them? I think so. The guy with the neck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, now we're getting specific.
0: Well, have you not seen those photos?
1: The guy's got a crazy neck. All right, I'll have to look that up. Is it crazier than Peyton Manning's forehead?
0: No, I would never go so far as to suggest that. But anyways, the Texans not in the best of sorts. It was like 9-9 at some point in the game. Like it was, It was not a great game, but they got the win. Sam Darnold, their new quarterback, he's averaging a little under 300 yards a game. He has only thrown for 3 touchdowns. And then obviously Christian McCaffrey has been, you know, the dominant force here. Um he might be missing time in the upcoming weeks, but he won't be going to the IR is something that was announced yesterday. So that's at least some a bright spot for them. Uh but the but the real story with the Panthers is their defense. I think they have the best defense in the league so far by points per game, allowing ten points per game. Obviously, you know they <laughs> they face the Jets, <laughs> they face the Texans, so the numbers might be a little skewed. But I think you would agree that even looking at where they're at right now, that Tampa would probably is probably still expected to win the division. I would say so. But but is this a playoff team?
1: I think. Geez, it's tough because it hinges on Christian McCaffrey. The Panthers said the other day that he will miss, quote, a few weeks. So he's not coming back right away. But I think that in general, I'm going to call the Panthers real. I think, and especially that hinges on the fact that I think Sam Darnold is real. Wow, no Sam, hedging here. Sam Darnold was trapped in Jets land for however many years he was there. It felt like 20 I'm sure it was three or
0: something. I believe it was two or three years.
1: Two or I think it was three. I'm going, I'm locking in three is my guess. <laughs> well, we'll do trivia another time. He was very ta- like, obviously a very talented top three pick coming out of college. The Jets took him, the Jets ruined him because that's what the Jets do, baby. But uh I think Sam Darnold is real. I think we're seeing now the talent that he displayed at USC. I think he's got a great receiving core to throw to. They're still waiting for a couple guys to come back from injury. The defense has looked good, so I'm calling the Panthers real and a contender for the NFC Wild Card. And I, I guess by the merits of our game, they're going to get that Wild Card if I'm calling them real.
0: Yeah. Uh, welcome to reality, as Grimes once said. Uh, so <laughs> glad we're hitting the uh, obscure Grimes. <laughs> that's a, that is an album cut. I will say it's like the eighth track on Art Angels, but a good song. Check it out. Uh, so yeah, the the main competition, basically the entire nfc west is a is a playoff contender um so you know one of these teams is going to win the division but you have the rams cardinals niners and seahawks so one of them is going to win division so the wild so the wild card spots are going to be those other three teams and then i think the other serious contender is the new orleans saints who are currently two and one
1: who the panthers dominated chris therefore (laughs) panthers are making the playoffs by the
0: transitive property of wins yeah, I mean, like, do you, are, are there any other teams you think are in the conversation here? Because, like, it is, it is a weak crop of uh, teams that I'm looking at here. Like, I think you no, can cross NFC... off Atlanta, you can cross off Detroit, Chicago, Minnesota,
1: the football team, the no. Eagles. Yeah, no, the NFC is not a flattering bunch. You basically got one good team in each division, and then you've got the West, which has four good teams. And the Panthers, of course. Can't forget about the Panthers. But, uh, well, the Panthers are winning their division right now. True. But I, I'd still call the Buccaneers <laughs> the South's, uh, resident good team. So the key to making the playoffs in the NFC, if you're not one of those three division winning teams, is beating the two teams that don't win the NFC West. Can I think the Rams are going to beat the West? We'll get, or win the West, pardon me. We'll get to the Rams in a minute. Mm-hmm. So can the Panthers beat out the Cardinals and the 49ers? I think they can beat out one of them. So I'm saying Panthers NFC Wild Card lose in the first round. <laughs> Real baby, the
0: way, the way you excitedly trumpeted that they would be losing in the first round. Well,
1: I'm a realistic Panthers well, believer.
0: We're 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 realists here. That's why our ceiling is so low. Um, but let's yes, I think uh, I think that's a fair point. I am not as sold on them as you. Um, I mean, I I like their defense a lot, but I I think that offense. I don't know. They have some good players. I think it's. I think it really just does come down to the Darnold factor. He's probably better than uh, than we give him credit for. They almost remind me of uh, the those Jacksonville teams from a few years ago that had Blake Bortles as their quarterback. Just Bortlesing away. Just Bortlesing away. Almost made it to a Super Bowl. So maybe you're right. Maybe the Panthers are a team that can. Uh, you know. I I do think it's
1: insulting to this Panthers offense to compare them to that Jaguars offense. Sam Darnold's better than Blake Bortles. I will divulge that Sam Darnold is my backup quarterback on my fantasy team, so Mm. I'm heavily biased towards him. With that being said, I still think it's real, even if he was on a different fantasy team.
0: Yeah, and they do have some strong skill position players. Uh, They got rid of, sadly, Darnold, (laughs) the other Darnold, (laughs) Dan. Dan Arnold.
1: Uh, Hilarious who, name for an NFL player. There should be no NFL players named Dan Arnold. I know a guy named Dan Arnold. Really, really nice guy. Is he in the NFL? He is not, sadly. Case in point.
0: <laughs> Fully proven. But yes, I, I do like their skill position guys. Like, obviously, McCaffrey is a huge game changer on offense. Like, truly a guy who can change an offense. Takes like um, that are why we're that's the high floor part of our name, right? <laughs> we just
1: we really lay it down the middle.
0: Precisely. But then, like, you know, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, like, they do have. He has guys to throw to at the very least, so they won't be totally relying on their defense, but we'll see how that shakes out. We're going to turn to another team, the other, the other. I'd say, really big surprise uh, of this group, which is the
1: Denver Broncos. Yeah, i got to be honest. When I got your notes for today's episode and you had the Denver Broncos listed as one of the 3-0 teams, I thought it, you were pranking me. I've not heard anyone talking about the Denver, the three and 0 Denver Broncos. All due credit to them, but as I'm sure you're about to mention, look at that schedule. <laughs> yes, that is the big
0: thing. So they have wins. They have a win over the Giants. They have a win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. This ain't Blake Bortles' time, baby. This is Trevor
1: Lawrence's team, <laughs> which is way so far worse than Bortles' team. Yeah, Trevor team. Take a worse from that what you will.
0: Uh, and then the our erstwhile companions in this whole exercise, the New York Jets, they also have a win over them. So three of the absolute worst teams in the league, uh, they actually are the team that have the best defense in the league uh, by points per game. They shut out the Jets uh, last week. So again, this is another team that's mostly getting by on their defense so far. They have a really nice defensive group. Um, obviously, Von Miller is still there bradley chubb i'm a huge fan of both in name and uh, demeanor and then they have the the rookie patrick certain the cornerback so obviously the big conversation surrounding the broncos in the offseason is that they didn't pick a quarterback in the draft they picked certain with what was it the 11th or 12th pick that they had uh, a pretty high pick mac jones still on the board um but that seems to be working out for them what do you think about uh teddy bridgewater so far
1: Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, I got no problem with. The Denver Broncos in general are faker than the Loch Ness Monster. Wow. I mean, come on. If you look at the schedule, the guys they've played so far, no disrespect to the bridge man himself. (laughs) But with that being said, you look at the games they've got coming up. They've got the Baltimore Ravens. Then they got the Steelers. They might win that one. They got the Vegas Raiders, the (laughs) Cleveland Browns. Dallas Cowboys still on the schedule. They still got to play the Chargers and the Chiefs twice each and the Raiders twice each. They've played really no one of any caliber. They've got a lot of good opponents coming at them. AFC is by far the better conference. I in no way see a universe in which the Denver Broncos make the playoffs this year. Do you? Um I mean,
0: looking at the AFC, I don't really see it. I mean, you're looking at uh let me pull this up here. So like but I mean, it's the same thing where there aren't a ton of teams that you see as like really out and out obvious playoff competitors this year. So, looking at the various divisions, obviously, I think it's fair to say are are, are the are the Chiefs still the favorites to win the AFC West at this point over the two three and O teams Denver and one other surprise team we'll be talking about later.
1: Yes, I think the Chiefs bet against them at your own risk. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention in our NFC matchup, there's an extra wildcard team this year. Yeah, is there, there are not? Seven
0: there are seven teams making it. Means I'm
1: even more all in on the Carolina <laughs> Panthers. This Panther Panther up.
0: <laughs> that famous expression. <laughs> this it. is a great I like to this lock in because we can track this over the course of the next several weeks, how the but Panthers do. I think
1: if you pick the division winners, And the wild cards here in the AFC, the Bills are winning the East. Whoever Mm -hmm. doesn't win the AFC North out of the Ravens and the Browns will grab one of those wild card Mm -hmm. spots. Uh, I think whoever, well, the South, honestly, they should have no playoff teams. Yeah. So then you could make a case for the Denver Broncos, but I do think they're the worst of the four teams in their division. So I think they're not finishing ahead of any of those three teams which would mean that the last two wildcard spots could go to the Raiders and the Chargers if we're calling the Chiefs the division winners
0: yeah that's that's basically what I have like you have the the other AFC North team um, you know maybe you have Cincinnati and they're doing something as well maybe Miami shows you something maybe New England shows something but nothing that we've seen from them so far to suggest that they are a, a true playoff level team so you know and then you have those three West teams so are they borderline a playoff favorite? So, like, if you say three spots go to the division winners, you have Cleveland or Baltimore, whichever one doesn't win, and then the three West. I guess that is seven teams. But then they, but then that makes them at worst probably the eighth best team in the, in the AFC, right? Like, are they better than Cincinnati?
1: Uh, I'd say no.
0: Are they better than the Dolphins?
1: No, especially not with Tua hurt. Yeah, so, so maybe maybe more of a discussion than i anticipated on the denver broncos still fake though
0: yeah i think it's just a matter of not having a ton like you know like you look at the colts at zero and three i guess the the steelers as well the steelers are one and two but they definitely have the potential to
1: i do not have the steelers as a playoff contender (laughs) this year time (laughs) to move on from (laughs) big ben franklin
0: yeah um call him that because he's so old and because he's looks like he's been electrocuted with a big kite and he's also fat was Ben Franklin fat, or was he just drawn that way?
1: Oh, you know what? You're right. Let's not body shame Ben Franklin. Is
0: that a Jessica Rabbit
1: quote that I just inadvertently? <laughs> we've got threw out the there? Grimes quotes. We've got the Jessica Rabbit <laughs> quotes. We're staying topical. We're we're sticking to the Midwest appeal. <laughs>
0: Roger out. One of the one of the more popular Robert Zemeckis movies in the Midwest. Um. So let's bump around here. We've talked about the Broncos. We've talked about the Panthers. Let's do I kind of I kind of doubled these two teams up because they are in the same division but are in I'd say I would argue very different situations. both 3-0 teams, both NFC West teams both largely doing it with their offense. the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the Rams are third in points per game. the Cardinals are first. the Rams have wins over the Bears in week one. Uh, the Colts, and then a great win over the Buccaneers on Sunday. A close win, but but a really solid win for them. Uh, Cardinals, they have a win over the Titans. They beat the Vikings just barely after that missed field goal at the end of the game. And then they beat Jacksonville. So, you know, not much to write home about there. But, but that's like, you know, it's not Broncos levels of bad slate. Uh, the place I want to go first is with the Rams. And I want to know, are they... So they be considered the, the Super Bowl favorites right now? So are they the best team in football?
1: Uh, they're definitely the best team in the NFC right now. I've got them as coming out of the Super Bowl. You look at – or coming out of the NFC to make the Super Bowl. Uh, you look at the – what they've done in previous years with Jared Goff, who I view as a competent NFL quarterback, by the way. But then you add yeah. a guy, a superstar, who's just been waiting for a chance to show it in Matthew Stafford. A great defense, two of the best defensive players in the game, and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. The Rams are for real, for real, for real. And I think right now, yeah, bet against the Chiefs at your own risk. Bills are good, but I think you call them the Super Bowl favorites.
0: Yeah. Um, so the list I have here of teams that are that are, I would say are in the conversation for the best team in football, I have Buffalo. Sure. I have the Cleveland Browns. No. I have the Green Bay Packers.
1: Never bet against Rodgers.
0: I have the Buccaneers. Sure. I have the Kansas City Chiefs. Always. You know, like, it's it's a it's a reputation-based. Re- record based doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Point. And then you can throw in the Cardinals as well, because they are a 3-0 team. They do have the best offense in the league, but I don't I don't really see them as a, as a contender in this situation.
1: Yeah, I see this as our, our two least interesting teams on this list, because I think they're both very real. I think we can agree on that. The Rams are realer than the Cardinals, to borrow some Jersey Shore lingo. But uh, the Cardinals are still real.
0: So you think they're? but do you think they're real in terms of like, is this a team that could go to an NFC championship game or even to a Super Bowl?
1: I could absolutely see a world in which the Cardinals get on a hot streak. Kyler Murray, one maybe the most exciting young quarterback in the NFL outside of Lamar Jackson. Uh, the receiving core is deep. The offense is great. The defense is fine. And so we will see how that play holds up in the playoffs when they have to go up against the Packers and the Rams and the Buccaneers and even the Cowboys who have a great offense. Mm.
0: But yeah, you talk about Murray. Um, so I wrote down some numbers here, 335 yards a game, seven touchdowns, four picks. Um, I will say after week one, where he kind of like went off, obviously he was, he was the highlight of that week. I would say by far, uh, you had people talking about him as an MVP candidate. Um, After that, he's thrown three touchdowns and three interceptions in the last two games, but he is completing over 80% of his passes.
1: Which is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I think the MVP, Kyler Murray, isn't quite there yet. I think it's a race between Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers. You can throw Lamar Mm -hmm. Jackson in there as well, just because anything that the Baltimore Ravens do well is because of Lamar Jackson. The guy's doing it entirely on his own.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) That was a derisive, to be clear.
1: It, tell me i'm wrong tell me that lamar jackson is filled with helpful weapons on offense anyway not our conversation right I now i mean
0: i as i've often said going back to the early 2010s if that is your criteria for most valuable player then you should vote john wall for MVP. this is how old this take is but the i like being in out. mvp matters you got to be valuable you can't just be good so do you think john wall who took like a 20 win team to a 40 win team should have merited some MVP I think he should have merited
1: more than he got okay. I'll put it that way. Okay.
0: But um, Rams and Cardinals, both real. Yeah, Matthew Stafford, I have his numbers as well. Uh, 314 yards we a his game. number. Nine touchdowns, one pick. Uh, great, great numbers from him. Uh, the thing with Arizona that I want to talk about is, do we need to be concerned about their run game? Obviously, they have Cliff Kingsbury as their head coach. They're a very pass-happy offense. Uh, they've been getting by with this. James Connor, Chase Edmonds, uh, I hesitate to call it a two-headed monster, it's a two-headed something. Uh, but call it a platoon. Yeah, they've, they've been passable, not spectacular, and obviously Murray is adding some some rushing himself, but should, is that is that their one weakness or their cause for concern, or is it more just their defense?
1: I mean, I hesitate to say that any team in the NFL in 2021 should be concerned about a run game, I think if you look back at, if you look at the best teams in the league, the chiefs you talk about the bills you talk about uh the bucks none of these teams even are the, the teams the, the the packers none of the, well aaron jones is a great player but he's even more valuable in the passing game than the running game none of these teams are teams with star running backs on them mm. the best teams in the nfl so do the cardinals have good running backs they're fine do they need good running backs i don't think so
0: yeah i mean i almost hesitate to call them fine is <laughs> the reason that i wrote this down it's like James Conner, man, like what, a, what an egg he laid last year uh, in his last year in uh, Pittsburgh. But so with the Cardinals, we we sort of touched on this already, but are you putting them more in the Green Bay, Rams, Tampa category, or are they more on the tier of, say, a Cowboys
1: or a 49ers? I'm comfortable putting them right with the Cowboys. I think those are the, sort, the two sort of flag bearer best of the rest teams in the NFC. Precisely.
0: Okay, we have one more team to talk about, Uh, a really interesting team, a team that maybe has the best set of wins of any team that we've talked about. The Las Vegas Raiders, they have a win against your Ravens in overtime in week one. They have a win over the Steelers in week two, uh, and then they they blew that eight-point lead against Miami on Sunday before they ultimately won the game in overtime. So what do you you think of the Raiders, just generally speaking?
1: I have been very impressed with the Raiders. Derek Carr has really played well this season. I don't know how sustainable it is, but for now the Raiders have looked good. There's nothing to indicate that they can't keep this going except for their division. I think it's not a stretch outside of the NFC West to call it the toughest division in football. We'll call it the second toughest division in football. Uh, aside from that, they still need to play some tough games. They've got the Cowboys. They've got the Browns. They've got the uh, even the Washington football team, who I think can give good teams a run for their money. So the Raiders are a good team. I, I don't want to call them fake of their own volition because they haven't done anything wrong, mm-hmm. but just by the merit of how tough it'll be to make the playoffs in the AFC, I'm going to call them fake if that's our standard playoff team or not
0: yeah I think you're I think when you're talking about real or fake with them they are a cut above you know a panthers or a Broncos for sure you are talking about them more as a a possible like second divisional round conference round kind of team um they are the number one offense by yardage weirdly uh Derek Carr a couple he, of
1: overtime games
0: yeah he's averaging over 400 yards uh, a game he's thrown the lowest yardage he's thrown for is 382. He threw for 435 in week one. Um, the the big thing with them, the injury to Josh Jacobs, that is a big question mark for them. Um, but I I feel like there's not a lot you can really point to to say, like, this is why this is a 3-0 and team with wins against some good, like, you know, you can talk about the Steelers, but, and obviously the Dolphins are whatever, but some teams that are at least fighting for playoffs, if not entrenched, established playoff teams. So like what what is the explanation there other than just Carr throwing for a ton of yards at a sustainable at a, like pretty sustainable completion right he's in like the 60s and then they have those overtime wins so is it is it just a luck factor there
1: I think yeah you look at a bit of it a couple of overtime wins a win, a win against a weak Pittsburgh team like they really shouldn't have been that close with the Miami team without Tua Tagovailoa uh so I've the Raiders Seemed like a perfectly competent middle-of-the-table team. I think they've had some close game luck to start the year. We had Lamar Jackson fumbling in overtime to give them that week one win. Uh, so, yeah, they've got a tough slate coming up with Los Angeles, Denver, Philadelphia, and then Kansas City a couple weeks down the road. So I think that'll expose the Raiders for who they truly are, which is a perfectly adequate, I don't know, you want to call them 10-7, and 9-6 and 6 style team?
0: Nine and six would be impressive, um, given that. They're oh, like sorry, nine and
1: eight I counted in the wrong way.
0: Uh yeah, absolutely, I, I agree with you there. Um, but yeah, they're they're an interesting team for sure. Uh, definitely a surprising team, and yeah, one like, to like keep I, an eye on. Like I said, they they did blow that that they had that eight point lead against Miami. They gave up the touchdown and then the two point conversion, and then they actually traded some field goals until they ultimately won at the end of time. So, not a team that. Has done a ton to inspire confidence, although they ironically have like wins against stronger competition than anyone else on the list. But absolutely, we'll see how that shakes out. Maybe we'll revisit this, you know, in, in week six or week eight or whatever, uh, and see how those teams are doing. For now, that is going to be all the time we have for today. Uh, we have, I that, wait, that's
1: not a sentence.
0: <laughs> all the time we have for today. No, I wait, think no, it's a
1: perfect encapsulation of our low ceiling here at the high floor, low ceiling podcast. Absolutely. Uh,
0: right. We're that's all we've got. Episode one is in the books, Griffin. Uh, History has been made in this <laughs>
1: studio here today, <laughs> yes. Chris. Someday they'll put a plaque on the door. Episode well, one was recorded. Yeah. This here. door's kind
0: of made of metal, so I'm not sure that a plaque. Well, they, we is... can just
1: hammer it right in.
0: Yeah, I suppose so. I we'll probably need a drill, right?
1: Hmm. Well, you know what? I'll look up metalworking tools for episode two. Metallurgy. Uh,
0: but that's all for episode one of High Floor, Low Ceiling. You can follow Griffin at GriffinPorter97, spelled in an obvious way. You, that wasn't shade.
1: Well, <laughs> there are a lot of alternate spellings. G-R-I-F-F-I-N, Porter's obvious. Also, Twitter, the guy with at Griffin Porter hasn't tweeted since 2012. Mm. Give me at Griffin Porter, please. I have a podcast.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I have a podcast. Uh, you can follow me at C House and Jan. That's C H O W S O N J A N. That is my name. And until next time, uh, just stay, stay dry, stay dry. Good. It's usually a thing that you <laughs> say when there's like a hurricane or something. But I think that you never people know when a
1: hurricane might strike. Precisely, or a flash flood. So just stay dry. Keep uh, your homes dry. For all our Midwest fans, watch out for those tornadoes that mm-hmm. I know come up your way. Uh, hope the crops come out nice. <laughs> What else do we know about the Midwest? Corn and potatoes, baby. Corn and potatoes? You can't do a hato. I love it. Thanks for listening.